Again, if you have your Bibles, um, make your way to Genesis chapter 15. Um, today we, we're, we're continuing this, this look through Genesis just as we follow Abraham's journey. And, and it, it's still kind of in that odd point because as we say Abraham, we're not there yet. He's still Abram. And so again, don't let that confuse you. Same person. Um, the Bible has a way of changing names at times. Um, so in, in, in this summer, what we want to do is understand this journey of faith that, that Abraham had, because in that we see kind of our journey displayed. We see some amazing things that God did in Abraham's life, calling him out, and, and just what we see in that. Today is probably, um, if you didn't know Genesis chapter 15, this is probably one of the most important chapters of the Bible, and it, it contains one of the most important verses for our lives um, today. And so we're going to get in that. It's an exciting, it's, it's, it's a lot of happening. So I'm just going to read it first and then we'll get into everything else. And so if you want to follow along, I'll be in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter just to get a, a flow of everything. And then we'll, we'll come back and, and look at certain points throughout this chapter that Moses has written for us. So in Genesis 15 verse 1, it said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. For your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And in verse 6 it says, And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that this that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought and he and he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a, in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve afterward, and they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go, into your fathers, go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates to the land of the Canaanites, the Kenzazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Greg, Rishites, and the Jebusites. If you will pray with me as we ask the Lord to, to guide our time here today. God, we 
Again, God, we just thank you that you've given us your word, God, that we've given your truth, that we don't have to to search for it, that we don't have to, to worry about finding it, God, that you've preserved it, you've inspired through your spirit these men of faith to record your truth so that we might learn from it and allow it to, to change our lives. God, I just pray that today that, that everything that we say and think would be to bring glory to your name. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so there, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening in that chapter. There's some weird parts, if we're honest, we don't really relate to because our culture is a little different. But, but the first thing that we need to do to kind of set our minds in this, and if you've been here for a while, that's what we like to ask questions. And so because questions gain knowledge, they, they allow you to understand stuff. And so today I want to ask you just kind of set where we're going and, and to kind of put ourselves in the, the shoes of Abram and, and just ask yourself, do you ever, do you ever have doubts? Do you ever get to this point where you just doubt, that, that you're not sure there's this uncertainty and you have doubt, and then think about what happens next? And, and kind of what I was thinking through this as I was writing out the, my, my outline today, and, and I asked myself these questions, and I'm thinking through, and, and to me, I, f- I felt like there's really two ways that, that I kind of deal with doubts, and, and they might be the same for you, is, is one, you kind of hunker down, right? That you have doubts and you just push forward. Like you're just gonna, you're gonna hunker down, you're gonna go down, you're gonna push hard through these things when doubts happen. Like if I don't think about it, maybe if I just focus away from it and just keep put my head down, kind of, you just keep going, maybe they'll go away. But, but I also think about sometimes that, that the exact opposite happens. Instead of forgetting about that or, or kind of just working through it, not realizing it, but maybe you laser focus on the doubts, like what's causing that? And so it, it's almost like, when you try to forget something, you think about it more. Right? Have you ever done that? You've been, you're trying to go to bed and you, something's on your mind and you're like, I don't want to think about that, but thinking I don't want to think about it makes you think about it. And that's kind of what, to me, we do with doubt sometimes. Like, we just so laser focused on it because we don't want to think about it, but that our mind is consumed by it. And what we need to understand is that, that doubts are, are a cause or a major problem in the relationships that we have, personal relationships, relationships you have with family, with, with coworkers, with friends. If you doubt something about that person, then, then there's, this, there's something that this cause there that, that makes something you, you really you don't understand. You, you, maybe you always question their motives. If you have doubts about where they are or if they have your best interest in mind, everything they do you, you question, right? But we also see that it's a, a major problem if we doubt within our spiritual lives that, that it causes problems when we doubt in your spiritual lives and but today we're going to talk about that we're going to see how in through this chapter here genesis 15 how how that dealt that doubt is dealt with because not all doubt is bad and and so it, it kind of makes us focus in on the right things and so today as we look at this we're, we're looking about doubt but we're going to talk about the the covenantal assurance that we find in this because this, this chapter, although we see Abram doubting, and we'll talk about that in a second, it's really a chapter about assurance. It's, it's a chapter about here's how we have assurance in Christ. And so it's, it's cool to, to sit here and think that we always have the confession and assurance that drives us to Christ. And that's kind of what this chapter is giving us as well. And so the, the, the first thing I want to focus on is the assurance of faith. And, and so as we look at this, it's interesting when you see that first verse, and after these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Two things about that. After these things, so what happened? If you were here last week, you'll remember. If you weren't, I'll give you a hint. Abram had just gone and rescued Lot. He had just beat the, the five kings that were, 
with Keter Laomer, and, and he had conquered, he had rescued Lot, he brought him back, and then Melchizedek and so- the king of Sodom come out, and he has this temptation, and he resists the king of Sodom, and says, I'm not taking anything, because then people will say that you gave me this, or there were selfish motives behind rescuing Lot, because he gained something, but then he's blessed by Melchizedek, and says that he's taken an oath with the Lord, and so he takes nothing. And so it's after these things. So right after this, he's just had this great military conquest, if you will. Like He's kind of the the big man around the area because he just crushed the five kings that had just crushed the other kings. And so he's, if you beat everyone, that kind of puts you on top, right? There's no one else standing there. But then after these things, a word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Right there also, this is the only time in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that a vision is given. It's after this. So it's Abram. There's a unique thing happening here. God's speaking, uh, speaking directly to Abram. And he says, fear not. Right? Isn't that weird? He just conquered all these things. And then God says, fear not. So why was he afraid? You ever thought about that? Why, why was, if you look at that, why is he afraid? He just beat Keterleomer. He just beat the people that beat the people. And so why is he afraid? He's just passed the test. And all of a sudden, he was Afraid. So, have you ever had a moment like that where you should be completely strong, but you're but you're weak, right? And this is one of those things where you need to say, guys, be honest. Like we try to think like we're always strong, but but there's been times I know that I should have been strong and encouraged, and I was fearful. There's this doubt here, and he says, "Fear not, for I am your shield." What an amazing sentence! Fear not, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God's saying, I know that you just passed up on this, that, that you had all these riches come in the king of Sodom, but fear not, I'm your shield, so don't worry about maybe retribution, don't retaliation, but I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. But then we get kind of to the heart of the thing, and we see why Abram's so plagued with doubt and fear. And then verse 2 says, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, for I continue childless? See, we understand what's happening now all of a sudden as Abram's going back to this promise that God was going to give him an inheritance, it was going to give him through his son, and yet he's saying, I still don't have a son. If you do the math, it's something like 10 years that he's been waiting, and so he's like, I still don't have this. Like, it's great that I just, I don't have that, and so there's this doubt creeping in. He doesn't have an offspring. He says it again in verse 3, behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. He's like, so someone's going to get my stuff. Someone's going to get my inheritance, but it's not from my household. It's going to be a servant. It's going to be someone else. And so there's this doubt. Like, this is, Are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? He has this doubt because there's no offspring. So Abram's faith all of a sudden is plagued or shadowed by the doubt. And it's the doubt that will God actually do what he says he's going to do? Because from Abram's perspective at this point, he's not. He's saying, I have no one. I have no offspring. And then God speaks again. And he loved God in response. And then a word of the Lord came to him. Again, this other word, this direct speaking to Abraham. He said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So God, God he just gets right to the point, right? It's a direct response. Sometimes you're, you look at the New Testament and you're looking at, like, man, how do I know what God's speaking? It's very vague, right? Well, it's not vague here. This man will not be your heir. Your son will be your heir. He speaks directly to him. And so what we see in that is that that God attacks Abram's doubt by shifting the focus on what's not happening 
to the surety that God is able to do it. So he changes his focus from the circumstances to God. He says, fear not, this man's going to do it. This man will not be. Your son will be. And then he takes him and says, look outside. Takes him outside, look at the stars, count them if you're able to. And you got to think here, we were, we were laying outside on the, the driveway the other night, and we were looking at the stars, and we are talking about how that we don't see half of what it is. So think about Abram here, okay? I don't have to tell you, but there's no electricity, there's no light, right? Some fires, maybe, but out in the desert. And I have a friend, um, he, he leads worship at Austin, so his name Justin Cofield, and he, he got to go to Jordan one time, and he was out in the desert. And he said that was the most amazing time that he's seen the stars. And so when we look at this, we need to think of it not what we see, which is cool. Not what we see with the little app. Like we, got, we download an app so you can see all the stuff. Like, but the reality of this is what God said. The magnitude of stars that are there when we take out light. God says count those if you can because that's what your offspring will be. Right? It's a direct response. He shifted his focus to God and what God can do. And the magnitude of that. But what happens is, is we always look at doubt. And we really handle them two ways. Like, so if you're here and you're at this point of doubt and you're still looking at this, well, this doesn't, this doesn't really apply to me. It's talking about Abraham. I get that and all this. But think about the ways that you handle doubt. Where does your focus lie when you have those times of doubt? Because really there's two main ways that, that I can think of that people hold out. Is one is you conceal it, right? And this is in life and this is in church. There's, there's plenty of churches that you walk in that doubt's not allowed. Like you, don't, you surely don't talk about it. You conceal that doubt and you just hold it in because you've got a safe face. You've got to be at this place where you don't have doubt about what God's going to do or who he is in your life. And so you conceal it. But when that happens, your focus is always on the doubt and trying to hide the reality of that. So you never free yourself to actually live through the promise of what God is going to do because you're consumed with concealing this doubt. Like, I don't want to be known as that person that doubts. I don't want to be that person. And you have churches that, that, that operate on that. Like, don't, don't bring your doubt in here. But the, the reality is, most of the people in those churches have doubts, and they're just suffering in that because they don't have a way to express it or to refocus back on God because they're not taught how to do that. But the other way is you celebrate it, right? On the complete opposite side is you have places or, or people that are going to celebrate. We live in a culture that celebrates doubt, right? Skepticism is all you need. Right? You can be a skeptic about everything, but all that is is celebrating doubt about the reality of who God is. And we need to understand what our, our, our main way or how we default into dealing with doubt because that's going to be able to allow yourself to apply what we see in this text to your life. Are you a person that conceals your doubt? You feel like I can't be doubting because then maybe I'm not a good Christian if I doubt or you're going to celebrate it, and you're going to always ask questions just to try to point something out that's wrong to maybe make yourself feel better. Right? You're not going to conceal it, but you're going to just embrace it. You're going to celebrate it. And that's why verse 6 is such an amazing thing to happen. We look at this. It's probably, I, I, there, there's plenty of good verses. I would say this is the most important verse for us in the Old Testament. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteous. Amazing thing. And you see that over and over again in Scripture. The New Testament hinges on that verse. So he was all this doubt, all this stuff, and God says, look what I'm going to do. Here it is. And what did he do? He believed him. So he, God refocused his doubts by placing himself at the center of that. And all of a sudden, his doubts for that moment are gone. He believed God. So his faith 
overcame his doubt. And we look at that and we think, well, there's no way that that applies to us. Well, listen to how Paul talks about it. In Romans 4, which we'll go through this in more detail in the, in the fall when we get into Romans, but in Romans 4.20, the, uh, Romans chapter 4, the whole thing is about Abraham justified by faith. But in chapter 20, or verse 20 is a, a better, just a, a good way. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. So Abraham, the unbelief that he had, the doubts that he had made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So when he realized, what Paul's saying is that when he realized the, the magnitude of the stars, what God's saying, that that, that grew his faith, the, day, the doubt faded away. And then in verse 21, Romans 4 says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. So he trusted in God that God could do what he said, and there is doubts went away in that moment. But then in verse 22, he says, that is why his faith was counted to him to his righteousness, that he believed God, that his doubts went away, that he focused on God, and that he believed him that God could do what he said. That's why it was counted to him as righteousness. But then in verse 22, it says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. See, now it gets good. It's coming to us. And then Romans 4.24 says, but for ours also, if it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, for who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so what Paul does there in Romans 4 is he brings this idea that our doubts can go away just as Abraham's if we believe in Christ alone. And so when we look at what's happening in here, we need to understand that doubts will still happen. If you look at verse 8, okay, he just believed it to him. He's just been counted righteousness to him because he believed he trusted God would do what he said he saw the stars he can't count them that's going to be my offspring it's going to happen because God just told me in verse 8 he says but oh Lord how am I to know right it's like don't you're like seriously but aren't you the same way like you have this moment you're like I know I believe it I understand it and you're like but how do I know right that's just that doubt creeps in how will I know and what, that, what we need to understand in verse 8 is that shows us two ways where we don't trust that God is going to do what he says. There's, there's two ways, and then the rest of the chapter kind of uh, it, it deals with those two ways. The first way is that we don't properly trust that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so we allow that doubt, even though we believe, we understand the gospel, but we still have this doubt that maybe God can't do everything. Maybe God, and so that's one way where we don't trust God, and so doubt then is going to cloud our assurance that we have in faith, because we don't trust, can God really do that? Can he really save me by his son? And so we don't trust God, but then we also understand that we don't trust ourselves, right? And so that we're going to kind of expand on those as we keep going forward. In the first one, we're going to look at not trusting God, and we're going to see that we have assurance through inheritance and sacrifice. Okay, and if we're honest, here's where it gets kind of weird because we don't understand the magnitude. If we just look at it and just read it, you're like, what in the world's happening? Because what happened? Verse 9, he said to him, bring a heifer three years old, a female goat, a ram, all three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brings them. You know, what happened? Well, he cuts them in half. And if we're honest, we read that, it's weird, isn't it? It, it is, because we don't, we don't have it. You don't see that, right? You, you don't see you're going to cut them in half and then lay them next. We, we don't understand what's happening but what we need to realize is that this is an act of trusting God that, that Abram's doing. He's offering this sacrifice. These are animals that are appropriate for sacrifice. And so ask yourself first, is there anyone that you trust completely? And then how many times have they actually let you down? Right? Those of you that are married don't look at each other. 
right? If we're only like, yeah, you were supposed to do that. I was, I got a, you know, on Facebook, you get the memories, like, what's happened. And, and two years ago, Lindsay made this thing for Keaton, and I was supposed to frame it. It's framed, but I haven't painted it yet, and I told her I would. And that happened this morning, and I'm like, well, well I just let her down on that, so sorry. But, but it, right, is there anyone that you trust completely? And, and you might think that, but then when you trust them completely, how many times they let you down? And so what we see happening in this, in this idea of sacrifices, this is Abram's way of just, he's trying to completely trust God in what he's doing. So what does he do? He offers a sacrifice, he, or he starts it. These were animals suited for sacrifice. And, and really what's happening here is this is the way in which the, the inheritance or the promise is going to be accomplished. This is the start of that process. And then you even get down to verse 11, and when they're, they're laying down, these animals have been cut in half, they're laying down, all of a sudden, what does he do? He has to fight away the birds. They're coming to, to eat, and so he's defending that. And there's all sorts of descriptions in this that point us to other things. We can see easily that this could be just as representative of Christ's sacrifice for us. That he shed his body and blood for us, that he took down our enemies. He defended that, those that oppose us. Or we can see that this is also descriptive of Abraham fighting off all those people that were going to then be coming against the covenant people, his inheritance. But the reason we see that this is trusting in God starts in verse 12. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That's the first way we see you trusting God. But if you look at it, you're like, that's not trusting, right? Most of us don't like a, a dreadful and great darkness falling on us, right? That's not cause to trust. That's cause to like, what's going on here, right? You're like freaking out in that. But, but if we look at that, it's, it's trusting God because nothing happens while Abram's out of that darkness. Like when, when, before he's doing all of these things, all of a sudden this darkness falls. So we realize that now it's shifting between Abram's efforts and God's. There's this darkness, it's this dark sleep, this dreadful great darkness. And if we want to take the, the description even further, that there's one other time where we see a dreadful darkness. It's when Christ is on the cross, right? And he's separated from God, and all of a sudden there's this dreadful darkness, right? It goes dark in the sixth hour, noon, dark. Because in that, God's working on our behalf. Nothing happens, God works on our behalf. And so that's one way we can trust God. We can have assurance and inheritance because it's God working. Right? It's him doing this. There's this dark sleep on him. Right? And then the Lord tells him, he speaks to him, and this is the second way we know that we can trust God because what? The Lord said to Abram in verse 13 and through 16, he says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out and possess this. And then he speaks directly to Abram. He says, For you shall go to your fathers in peace and you'll be buried in good old age. Right? And the reason that that's cause for us to be able to put our trust in God so that doubts fall away in that is because God has a plan. Right? That things aren't cycling out of control. That in His sovereign rulership and lordship, that things are happening according to His plan. And, and if we want to look at this, it says no for certain. Like, there's no doubt in that, is there? No for certain. It's certainly going to happen. And this is what's going to happen. And so we need to kind of step back for a second and look at what's, what's happening here. This is Moses writing this to the Exodus community. Right? And so Moses, pastorally, writing to the Exodus community. And we can see them, and if you think about it, they're reading about what they just went through. 
How encouraging is that? That they're the ones that are been afflicted. They're the ones that he's bringing out. What an encouragement to them. But it's also an encouragement to us because that points us to the same thing, that this is who Christ is becoming for us. This is who Christ is becoming for us. And then if you look at this in, in Hebrews 12, right? Hebrews 12 is a famous, 11 and 12, the famous parts. We always talk about Hebrews. But Hebrews 12 one through three, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance to the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then in verse 3 of Hebrews 2, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary and be faint-hearted. See, and so we look at this, and we look at what's happening with Abram here, and we, we see that he's trusting God. We see that God has this plan. And then we take that into Hebrews 12 and we realize that Hebrews 11 is all about by faith all these people have done these things. And so then we're surrounded by those witnesses. Scripture is full of people that have trusted God by faith that he'll do what he says he's going to do because he has a plan. And so we can realize that we're part of that inheritance through Abram because of Christ alone. So why can we not be weary? Not because we set our trust in God because of who Jesus Christ is. And so then the, the easy application is that, do you? Do you completely trust that God can do what he says he's going to do because he acted when we couldn't act and he has a plan? Right? And, and if you think about it, those are people that you want to follow just in life. If you're at work, you have someone that always helps someone else, you want to follow those people, right? You like being around those people that are helpful. But you also like following leaders that have a plan, right? That if the person ahead of you, the person that's leading, has no plan, it's miserable, isn't it? You can't trust them because they don't know what's going on. Well, God has a plan, and he acts for us in Christ so that we can not worry about our doubt. So when our doubt creeps in, it's not going to take root if we remember the promises of God, if we trust that he's able to do what he said he's going to do, that we saw that on the cross in Christ, and so that we died through him and so then what do we do when doubt creeps in then you just go to the word you study you seek after the lord you pray and so many times i hear people talking about not being able to trust god and there's all this doubt and then never open their bible they never pray and seek the lord but they want this thing to magically happen well there's already been enough crazy significant things outside of us so why do we not seek after him when doubt creeps in because that's the only way that it's not going to take root we can have assurance in our inheritance through the sacrifice of Christ. And that's what we see happening here with the Lord. He's telling Abram, that do these things because I have a plan. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to, be, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. So those kings that you just defeated, they're not going to come after you. They're, you're going to be fine. You're going to go in peace in a nice old age. And we'll talk about that later because it, were, it does. We see the end. We know their end. And so... We have assurance through our inheritance and sacrifice when we look to Christ alone. And so when doubt creeps in, go to him. Study his word. Understand the promises that we've been given by God and see how that Christ fulfilled them all on our behalf when we didn't deserve it. But then that takes us to the next thing that we do. So we get to that point, right? If you have that moment, you get to that point and you're like, okay, I can trust God. I see what he's going to do. But then what happens? You consider yourself, right? Then all of a sudden, you don't trust yourself. Like, you, you know yourself better than anyone else does, right? And you know how many times you've kind of let yourself down. And so then we need to understand at the end of this, we have a, an assurance that comes from being, through being part of the covenant community of God. 
And so, so ask yourself real fast, do you have any regrets? Do you, do you act and think and respond? Do you speak like you always want to? Or has there been times where you said something and you're like, ooh, maybe I should take that back, right? If we're, if we're honest, we all have regrets because we haven't acted. And so what we do then is we take that and we remember that and then we don't trust the gospel that says that it's okay that you are who you are. And so we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves that we're good enough. And, and if we're honest, that's what society says, right? Society says that we should be self-fulfilling, that we should be able to find satisfaction and fulfillment in ourselves and everything that we provide for ourselves. And that's just a flat-out lie. Because I've never met anyone that's been able to be completely fulfilled in just who they are. Because we always say and act how we don't want to act. If you're, if you're a parent, you do that with your child, right? You act and you're like, oh, was I too harsh? Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have realized what was happening. But we don't fulfill ourselves because we can't. And that's what society has said. There's a, a, a pastor, there's a pastor, Patrick Reardon, and he says this about self-fulfillment. He says, the only true self-fulfillment, if we must use such a term, is to be sought in obedience to the lordship of and communion with the living Christ. Genuine fulfillment of self is expressed in forgetfulness of self and in the love of others exemplified by the Savior of the world. I'm like, I read that, I'm like, what an amazing description of that. That, that true self-fulfillment comes when you forget yourself. Right? Then you forget those aspects. And so what really what the Christian life is saying is do the exact opposite of what our society says, that you should do everything. It's self-fulfillment. And actually, the reality, the gospel says, no, you can't fulfill yourself. You're only fulfilled in Christ. It's only when you love others and you forget yourself, which is what Christ did. So it's amazing. We sing Christ surrendered all. He gave everything so that we could have it. And so we don't trust ourselves because we put too much emphasis on ourselves, right? Then, and so if you're, you're at this point and you're like, man, I can't just do it, then quit thinking about you and think about what Christ has already done. You, know, you want to you trust yourself that you're good enough? Then quit thinking about yourself. Think about others. Think about what Christ did for you and then approach your relationships through that same understanding. But look at verse 17. This is why you can do this. Look at verse 17. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, here's another place that, between the pieces, the two pieces, the animals. And here's another part where we think it's weird. Like, what in the world's happening there, right? If we just look at that, we're like, what in the world's going on, right? Like, it was already weird enough that he cut animals in half and laid them out. And now there's this smoking pot and this flaming torch. What is going on here? And what we see in this is that was a covenant being ratified. And in this culture, when we look at that, what would happen is they would lay animals out like Abram did, and then both parties would walk between them, and that was them signifying that the covenant was made. Okay, and when they looked at the covenant, the animals on the side that were split in half, that represents the covenant curse. Like, this is, you're going to break the covenant? Look at what you're walking through. That's how the magnitude it was. But what's so amazing about this and what we need to understand is the smoking pot and the pillar of fire, that represents God's presence. Right? Remember, Moses, he's talking to the Exodus community. What led them out of Egypt? A pillar of fire and smoke, right? And so when he's writing this, when he's talking about this, their mind directly goes, to, this is God's present passing, presence passing through, ratifying this covenant. But notice who doesn't go with him? Abram. 
And so in that, we see that God's the one that's responsible for upholding the covenant. Like He alone is the one that's going to uphold this covenant that he's making with Abram. It's not up to Abram, it's up to God. And so we can trust ourselves because it's not up to us. We don't have to uphold the covenant because God did that. But and as passing through, he's the one that's going to be accountable to the covenant curse. So if he breaks it, the curse is on him. And so he swears by the only thing that God can, himself, right? He's the only one that goes through it. He can't make an oath with anything higher. And so when we look at verse 17, we see that there's this, this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch passing between those people, those, those pieces. We realize that it's not about our efforts because God's the one that made this covenant with Abram. Your offspring will be like the, star, the stars if you can count them. And that signifies the idea that we can trust ourselves because it's not about us. You're not going to screw up God's plan because you're not the one that it hinges on. And so when we take this now out of the Exodus community and we put this on our lives, and how do we apply this? It frees us to trust ourselves because we realize that Jesus is the one that's already ratified the covenant of grace, this new covenant, by shedding his blood, by upholding that. So the new covenant's been ratified by Jesus alone. He was the one on the cross, and we go with him. Just as Abram is carried along with God through this covenant, and the new covenant, we're carried along in Christ. That's what it says we've died with Christ. We've been where he was through him. And in that covenant, this new covenant, the Christ is ratified by his sacrifice, by his blood and body. God is pledging to redeem all those who place their faith in Christ. And so again, you can trust yourself because it's not about you. It's not about you messing it up. And we have so many people that just say, be a good person and Christ will love me. He already loves you and you're not a good person. Right? That's what the gospel is. You're a sinner deserving death. Yet thanks be to God that in Christ we're able to come to Him. Right? That's what's amazing. That's why it frees you to trust yourself. We can trust God because He's going to do what He says. And we can trust ourselves because it doesn't matter. You don't have to fix yourself so that you can be saved. It's already happened. The covenant's been ratified. You just have to submit your life in faith and trust that on the cross Christ did what we needed so the the easy conclusion is to ask yourself are you actually trusting God and realizing that it's not about you are you understanding what Christ has done in ratifying this new covenant of grace just like this covenant that we see with Abram that he's the one that upholds that it was him that was on the cross when it should have been us that he passed through that if you will instead of us And so when you understand that, you can realize that you can stop living in doubt that you aren't good enough because you get a knowledge that you're not. Right? You don't have to, you can trust yourself that you don't have to worry about, am I good enough? The answer is always no, but thanks be to God. Right? That's that's what's so amazing. And you see that all through Paul's writing, all through the New Testament, we realize that it's God acting on our behalf in Christ Jesus alone. Not that we deserved it, not that we can gain it, not that we can live a certain way and achieve that because it's already been ratified. The covenant's there. It was when Christ was on the cross. And so apart from Christ, you aren't good enough. There is no hope for you. But in Christ, you have everything. We're heirs of this great inheritance that was promised so long ago that now we're heirs through Abraham because now 
the, the, this offspring that, that he was talking about here is literally offspring, it's physical genealogy. But now through Christ, it's a spiritual inheritance, which is why we can then have assurance that we're a part of that covenant community when we're united with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so if you're living through doubt, then you, and you don't know what to do, you don't know, then, then look at Christ. So what's so amazing about it. Read those first three verses of Hebrews 12 and just allow yourself to be worshipped. Just allow yourself to understand that all these people did this by faith and we are called to do the same thing by faith, submit ourselves to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's when we will not grow weary and faint-hearted. That's when doubt fades away. So turn your heart and your head to the assurance that we have in Christ alone and then doubts won't take root. Doubts will fade away and they might come back, but we always point ourselves back to Christ because he's the one that sustains us and has given us his spirit within us to sanctify us and lead us into him more and more as we live our lives. That's why we have assurance through a covenant that was made by Abraham and a new covenant that was ratified by Christ because in Christ alone we are accepted, redeemed, adopted as heirs and that's the only hope that we have is that we're secure in Christ alone, not ourselves. And that frees us then to live a life that he's called us to live in a culture that says that we shouldn't. But we're secure in that. We don't need anything outside of Christ to let our doubts fade away and to live a confident, assured life that we have in Christ what the world cannot provide. Let's pray. Father God, we... God, I just thank you for your son. God, we thank you that, that you made this covenant so long ago with Abram that we can look at your actions in Genesis 15, that we can know that, that you acted when Abram couldn't, that you ratified this covenant with him to give him an inheritance, God, and that, that you on the cross through your son ratified a new covenant of grace. The salvation is found not by our good works, but by his sacrifice. And I just pray that today that, that we would be a church and a people marked by trust and faith, understanding that in Christ alone are we secure and we find hope. And it's in his name we pray, amen.